Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. Here we are at the Principles of Performance podcast. I am your host, Eric Degatti, along with my friend and co-host, Mike Perry. Mike, we got a good one today, buddy. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you know, this is one of those ones where I'm going to be taking a bunch of notes. And, uh, you know, my wife made sure that I asked good questions today because she is a big fan of Mark. So, uh, no, we're excited about today. Yeah, so Mark Fisher, Mark Fisher is an international speaker, consultant, and entrepreneur. Uh, through keynotes, courses, and coaching, Mark's helps gym owners uh, achieve financial success and personal freedom. Uh, his popular topics include building cult-like cultures. I can't wait to dive into that. Uh, time management and sales and marketing for just good human beings. And he's a proud alumni speaker of the TEDx Broadway. Uh, Mark and Mike Keeler uh, founded Business for Unicorns, BFU, in 2016. And have since worked with many of the leading fitness studios across the country, UK and Australia, as well as Sony Music, Sylvan Learning, Nova Surgical, and, and, and Security Scorecard. Uh, in addition to all that, Mark is the co-founder of Mark Fisher Fitness, one of the most unusual gyms in the fitness industry. Um, and it operates a physical location in Midtown Manhattan and a fast-growing virtual location. Uh, and it was recognized uh, is in 2015 in uh, Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in America, as well as Men Health's top 20 gyms in America. And I met Mark and his staff when they came to a workshop at my old facility. So uh, I, he always he stood out in that crowd, and I'm looking forward to, to having a conversation with him now. Great to have you here, Mark. Yeah, an honor. Truly, truly honored. It's been quite the quite quite the roster you all found on this podcast. I feel uh, honored to have the opportunity to join the esteemed ranks. Well, you definitely earned it. And so let's dive right in talking about how you know, so now you hear like these big gym chains like Planet Fitness and, and and what they're trying to do is market themselves in this niche for gym, a gym for people who don't like going to gyms. But yes. you were doing that many, many years ago, at your facility <laughs> yeah. in New York City, except the only difference you did it with a lot more substance. Uh, talk about how you kind of landed on that particular niche. Yeah. And a lot more crazy. Um, yeah, so, you know, that became my niche in part because I had been a professional actor and I was sort of living for a long time as kind of parallel lives. And then I was a professional actor, which not only was part of what I did professionally, but very importantly, was my social community living in New York City, right? But concurrent to that, I was also a huge fitness nerd and like a real fitness nerd. And, and you all might know, Oftentimes, it is difficult to really chase two rabbits, and you tend to have people that are either New York has a lot of people that are actors that like kind of do training, or they have trainers that like I'm an actor, and I really kind of pride myself on doing both of those. But as happens, uh, you know, you get older, things evolve. Acting is awesome. There's some real challenging things about the lifestyle of being an actor. That as I got a little older, I became a lot interested in. And frankly, my intellectual interest and passion for fitness really just kept growing over time. And I kind of reached a certain inflection point where uh, I saw for me the writing in the role. I didn't want to be going out of town anymore to be, you know, doing Cats the Musical in the Midwest, which I do not judge if any actors are listening. It's a great way to go. My wife is a, currently in her ninth Broadway show. I think it's a great career. But I just found myself very interested in, I was so passionate about fitness and so satisfied, frankly, with something with a much tighter feedback loop for impact, right? Which is not to say that theater or the arts don't have an important role to play in society. I think they do. But the helper high that you can get when you can really help someone uh, feel better, move better, look better was very exciting for me. And also, you know, I, I think as you alluded to, I'm like a nerd, right? It's like, I'm really interested in fitness as a craft and as a practice. So 
long story short, when I decided I was going to go all in on training, it only made sense for me to work with my people, which were my friends, which being New Yorkers, being people in the Broadway community, I knew that I had an opportunity to try to enrapture them and enroll them in an interest in the serious fitness, but do it in a way that they found funny and inclusive and irreverent. And that was sort of how Mark Fisher Fitness was born. So, you know, I'll just say for those that are not familiar with MFF, you can go to our Instagram page and you'll see many unusual things and check out our website. But the shtick is Ridiculous Humans Serious Fitness, which we really aspire to, right? Which is to say that we want a fitness experience that's unusual, that's funny, it's very colorful. We call our members ninjas. It's not a gym. It's the Enchanted Ninja Clubhouse and Glory of Dreams. But we really aspire to provide a really high quality training experience. It's always been important from day one that we really know what we're doing, that I'm living up to the, I think, the model that is set by the mentors that I looked up to, many of which you know, have been, been guests on this particular show, so if your listeners are familiar with. And I think that sort of brings us up to how MFF was born and sort of why it's this strange thing. So the fitness industry is uh, traditionally pretty dogmatic and cut and dry and, and sort of vanilla. And uh, you've, you've definitely made an impact and you've, you've made a change in that. So explain where fitness and fun meet. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, there are two things. I mean, I, I think I'll say, first of all, there is a strategic conversation around very intentionally seeing an opportunity, right? How do I make something vanilla and make it unusual? If I'm being totally honest, part of it was I am just a very eccentric person and like a misbehaving child. I just got in a very intense, tight feedback loop where the, the more I misbehaved and the more bizarre and eccentric I was, the more the community of people fanned the flames. So like the misbehaving child, I kept getting more and more feedback to be uh, full mark, uh, I might say. So, you know, it's something I, I thought a lot about over the years, but I think in the spirit of trying to do something that's a little bit less away from me weaponizing my middle school eccentricities and maybe a little bit more useful for people listening, you know, to me, there, I've always been interested in taking the work seriously, but not taking myself seriously. And I think I've always come into this work, particularly with the type of people that I've historically worked with, with a lot of empathy for how confronting it is and sort of what things people are coming in about their relationships with their body and with movement and, you know, particularly my population, although, you know, even though a lot of them move really well, they maybe move well because their background is dancers, right? So these were not people that feel particularly comfortable or interested in being in a traditional weight room space. So I obviously have a very colorful approach. And I think that's often a I think it can sometimes be a little bit of a trap if someone looks at MFF, they might, you know, I think it can be easy to dismiss and say, like, okay, well, they do that and, and they're in New York and and brought by and large, that's true, right? You probably don't want the type of brand we have. I don't think it's going to fly in a lot of markets, but I think there's things about the way we've attempted to humanize the experience that I think most people can can adopt, right? Because there does seem to often be a little bit of an inverse correlation, not always, but oftentimes you, know, you tend to have these personality styles that love precision, these like egghead rocket scientist types that may or may not be as proficient with understanding how to speak to a human and how to understand what's in it for them and what their interests are and to step in their shoes in motion to understand what they might be going through to get here. And then the thing that's also, I think, maybe not thrilling is the individual that is super dynamic and they're very big picture and they really excite people, but they're not that interested in the position of the, the hip and the squat necessarily. And they don't really know the names of any bones, right? And, you know, that is also not thrilling to me. So I think people listening, I assume, are likely, well, you're probably interested in the names of bones if you're listening to this podcast. And I salute you for that. And, um, you know, I would invite you, and I assume you're probably already doing this, but just to, you know, always remember we're really dealing with people first and foremost. So again, as far as like what fun it's going to look like, it'll be very different based on your culture. Certainly you have to consider, okay, who are the people that you're called to serve for the people showing up in your space? Because it's probably not going to be the way that MFF creates fun. But I do think being intentional about making the experience as enjoyable as you can is worthwhile, right? And, you know, the full disclosure, that will look very different based on your facility and your clients and, and your mission and values. Yeah, so as I said earlier, and I'll reiterate again, like what you see is not a is not a gimmicky thing that when you're seeing from Mark and where some places it may be, it's not. There's, there's, a, there's 
a sense of genuineness in, in, in what you're doing and, and that there's also, I think, something to be taken from, from all professionals, whether it's on the clinical side that we have as listeners or, or even fitness professionals. And I, I think if there's any like take-home lesson is as much as we know and as much as we can, we can have a tremendous impact is that like at some point fucking get over yourself. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like people are here to work out. And and I always say like, we have one of the coolest jobs in the world and that we can change lives, but we're not in in the art or or, or business of saving lives. Like if somebody clutches their chest, like if I'm teaching a class, somebody, I say, look, if somebody clutches their chest, don't say quick, you know, no one's going to yell quick. Somebody grab a strength coach. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't have to have that. We're not running into burning buildings but we can still have extremely meaningful impacts on lives. And so um, I think keeping that perspective is something you've done a, a really good job of. And then another thing to kind of to uh, um, lather up to you a little bit more is you do something that you're really good at is writing. And it's an, a lost art, um, I think, especially because everything so has to be 60 seconds or, or even less for, for Instagram and TikTok. But sure. uh, in terms of doing my research for the show, looking back on, on some of the stuff you've written is very well done. And uh, one of the things that stood out that I made as a note here is you, you said you can learn a lot about a human being by how they train. So explain yeah. to everybody what you mean by that. Yeah, my gosh. Well, you know, this is so interesting too, having run a facility for a long time and having had the opportunity to hire a lot of clients is I think you'll learn a lot about a human by the way they train, right? I think we bring um, a lot of our personality quirks, strengths, weaknesses into the way we approach training, right? And I think this is a can be encapsulated perhaps by the Zen Cohen, how we do anything is how we do everything, right? You have some people that are going to go in super hard, but they're not necessarily thoughtful about the position of their body. And they're not really considering, um, you know, the fact that we're, we're looking in many situations with fitness for most of us, most of the time, we're looking to provide a stimulus to create some sort of like outcome. Right now, again, I make space for there's a certain type of person that loves the actual physical exertion of it. That's their own kind of kink, which also, yeah, yeah you support that. That's totally, totally great. Um, but I do think you know, there's people in the world, there's a little bit of recklessness the way they prove, approach training that, again, I'm not making this right or wrong, but I just think it's an interesting observation, right? I think on the other hand, too, there's people that maybe seem have a very hard time really pushing it as hard as they could, right? Or maybe like a little careful, and it feels like a little precious. And, you know, I think one of the, the greatest most hilariously generic pro tips that you can give anybody that works as a fitness professional is rep out your clients sometimes rep them out because my gosh you're always going to have that client they're like oh how hard was that set oh like nine out of ten okay cool let's rep out on this next one oh you know it's funny you felt the 12 reps were nine out of ten but you just did 37 you just did 37 when i made you rep out right so at any rate, something I think about a lot, and admittedly, you know, the full disclosure is these days I'm I'm not uh, on the floor. I haven't been in sort of several years, so I, uh, you know, the first to admit I, I feel like perhaps demyelinated from uh, some of those skill sets. But that was very much my experience as a trainer. Is this you learn a lot about people about how they show up under stress? Because for me, you know, maybe a final comment I'll make. What one of the things I'm most interested in about training is you're essentially practicing. I think at best. You're practicing showing up with consciousness and grace and awareness in a physically difficult situation, right? And life is defined by these constant opportunities to uh, ideally grow through adversity. And I think one of the benefits of fitness is you are practicing doing hard things. And there's something to be said for, you know, I'll say I am endlessly fall in love with people that put themselves in that situation over and over and choose to show up with real awareness in it. And again, they're finding the line, right? They're, they're neither, uh, they're not taking the foot off the gas pedal, but they're also not wild about it. They're just like in it and they're there and they're present. And, you know, there's a lot of physiological benefits of fitness and obviously I'm an advocate for them as well. But my gosh, like the psychological benefit of learning how to experience discomfort and just be in it and still show up and do the work. Uh, you know, the you guys are you know, familiar with this phrase, kalosthenos, right? This concept of like beautiful strength, right? The etymology of the word kalosthenics is how do I create beautiful strength under adversity? 
And to my mind, I think that's maybe like kind of the foundational model for how I think about uh, fitness and the potential psychological impacts it can have on people. All right. So let's talk a little bit about how people get their fin- fitness information nowadays, which is very different from when you and I met. And yeah, uh, I'm going to keep I'm gonna, and I'm going to keep going, going back to this kind yeah. of balance, this balancing act that you have where you've been able to leverage kind of the, the curb appeal or click appeal of showing off kind of eye catching physiques or, or, or anything like yeah. that in your promotions and content. But yet you're still able to back that up with credibility and actually knowing your shit and not just being, you know, yeah. uh, a, a quote unquote influencer. Kind of talk about how you get good information out there that actually gets seen, um, but doesn't sell your soul to do it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and I think I should also concede before I dig into this, that it is very true that frankly, I got started a very different time in the industry. I'm like barely even on Instagram. So, uh, you know, I, I, I probably can't say at this point that I can give you like, oh, here's the one, two thing to be an influencer. But my professional expertise remains gyms, right? I work with gyms, which are not people that are going to have, you know, a half million dollar following to do sponsorship deals. These are people that need to, in most situations, gain a stable of like 100 to 300 clients that are paying a decent rate per month and are sticking around and are getting good results and creating a good life, right? I think at a high level, it's cliche, but I think the best way to think about this remains that you have to give people what they want or you have to sell people what they want and then you have to give them what they need, right? And in fitness land, again, I think we go back to this this challenge sometimes. We can run through a little bit of the curse of knowledge where the intellectual interests and passions and fascinations of the practitioner can create blind spots, right? Where we're interested in the things that we're interested in. We're like, you know, and again, I'm not to say there's no place for that, but I think if you're looking to create a big boat, I think it's important to always stay at the forefront of your mind your what it is that the person you're feeling called to serve what's the conversation going on in their head right that's an old cliche marketing term but like what it is that they're struggling with what are their short-term wants what are their short-term frustrations what are their long-term dreams what are their long-term fears and really making sure that you're speaking to that in the marketing and making that an okay thing while trusting yourself as professional to move them, you know, up the motivational spectrum to things that are a little bit more sustainable, right? So very specific example, right? In fitness land, quite often when people are getting started, you know, we want, you know, like practitioners, you want people that are focused on the things that they want. You want people that are focused on the positive way that's going to change their life. And like, that's all cool. And that's just not where most people start, right? Negativity bias is a thing. When most people start, they're not thinking about getting from A to B. They're just thinking like, I'm not A, this isn't me. I can't even tell you B, I just know that it's not A and I don't feel good, right? And I think that's an okay place to start. Now, I think where the long-term practitioners have it correct is if you study human motivation, that will tend to not be the most sustainable thing, but I think it's important to not make that wrong. If people start with quote unquote shallow goals, if they're starting from a place of like, I just don't want this anymore. Well, I'll tell you what, the things we don't want can be, I think sometimes a pretty good, uh, they can really incentivize starting, right? Like get the party started, right? And then um, a friend of mine, uh, Coach Steve uh, Ledbetter, who's like a motivational science guy, always talked about the positive motivational hot tub, right? So we start by selling them on the things they want, talking about the things they care about. So you know, here's a, a micro example of this, right? I have no problem using the word toning. I have no issue with using the word toning because it's what a lot of the clients are thinking about, right? Now, again, if I get them into my world, at a certain point, I want to educate them, right? I want to explain to them that like in practice, I know what you mean when you say that, but like you can't really like tone a muscle. You can burn fat, you can build muscle, right? You know, I'll leave aside like super nerdery and I, I, I resist the desire to discuss myogenic tone, but, but I know what they're saying when they say toning, right? Um, and I'm comfortable... Uh, I think using some of those turns and selling the things they want, because I know that once I get them in there, I hope to inspire them to make this a lifestyle and start to move them towards uh, in the direction of who they want to be and what fitness can create for them. Um, You know, I think the last thing I'll say is I think there is room for reasonable people to debate about where that line is, right? Because frankly, when you think about like marketing, there probably is a, there are certain things that you can do that will work that for me are going to be too far, 
<laughs> right? They're gonna be like, that's like actually too far. That's actually, we're lying now, right? Um, and I'll say there's room for, for reasonable people to disagree on this, but I do think if you're a trainer or if you're a gym owner, the thing you just always have to remember is, particularly the client that's not with you yet, the conversation they're having in their head is definitely not going to be that sophisticated. And to your point, Eric, it's going to be less sophisticated than it's ever been because they're getting so many mixed messages. And I don't know, it's hard to say, are things really worse than they were 10 years ago? I don't know. It seemed pretty bad 10 years ago. Maybe it's a different forms of it's no longer just books and Oprah and newsstands. Now we also have social media, but I think regardless, the solution remains the same, which is like sell them what they want. And then, you know, be a pro, be a practitioner, give them what they need. And then also teach them what to want right over time, teach them, you know, uh, help them, you know, model for them values and a way of doing this that's sustainable that, um, you know, is reflective of good processes. All right, so sort of changing gears a little bit, and and I want to use the term experience because um, obviously with what you've created, it is an experience. And what are you trying to create when when someone walks into Mark Fisher Fitness or or yeah. any other club that you've yeah. uh, consulted with? Like, what is what is the goal when someone walks through those doors? Yeah, I mean, I just want them to feel welcome. That's the main. Like, I'm just obsessed about that. I just want to be a good host. Right. That's another way I think about customer service in general, even for gyms. A lot of it is just be a great host like if somebody walks in your house and you're having a party you want to greet them you want to greet them by name you want them to have and again this is going to look different based on the culture right so you know mff is obviously very colorful but in practice a lot of our sops around customer service are pretty rip-offable right that's not going to be that different right simple things like if you have a front desk staff or uh, however you do it uh even if you have a you know like what i have a small group personal training gym in North Jersey now, much very, a very different model. It's alloy personal training from Rick May, who I'm sure you guys are familiar with. You know, listen, I got a box, right? It's like a 1500 square foot box, lean model. There's not a front desk person per se, but the same system of if we operationalize this, it's you and or your staff should be looking at that booking billing platform and become experts in your clients. So you know who's coming in so you can greet them enthusiastically by name as soon as they walk in the door. Like that, that's the game, you know, and that's like a, such a simple way to operationalize this because that's the thing that we're looking to create is people feel like welcomed and cared for and seen. And, you know, for some people, it's probably more or less necessary. Certainly if you're talking about populations that feel more inherent discomfort in these spaces, it probably becomes more important, but in practice, it's just good customer service, right? Just something like figuring out what are the systems that make the people feel like I genuinely, sincerely care about you. You actually matter to me. Um, and it's important to me that you're here. And I'm appreciative you're here because I don't take it for granted that you could be somewhere else. And I want to express that love and care via system, system, systems, right? And again, it, I don't know that it's necessary for, for this rabbit hole, but I'll just, again, highlight, you can also operationalize that, right? Because in theory, that can sound kind of academic, but there are actually things you can create for the standard operating procedures, which I would note if you're a one-on-one -on -one trainer doing your own thing, Probably not a bad idea to get this down on paper for you. What are like the handful, maybe four, five, six, seven things that make a great session that every time I know if I do this, it's going to create a great outcome. And to state the very obvious, if you ever want to have people work for you, if you run a gym, if you're a fitness manager, that's the type of thing that you have to make crystal, crystal clear for the people you work with. And then of course, train them and, and manage them and, and audit them and all that other stuff. Now, where I think there's something really important in that messaging that you're saying, Mark, is that's something, um, the, the kind of the cultural macro that we do a really shitty job of in the fitness industry, even in just as patrons in, in what I, and we don't have a good perspective of that, um, as, as fitness professionals, cause we're so comfortable in the gym. Cause we grew up in the gym. That's why we're drawn right. to this as a profession. And we forget how uncomfortable the average person is walking in there. And, yeah. and so, you know, there's a, there's a story I always think of that I, one of the college athletes I was working with. Uh, came in and he said, coach, you know, there's this big fat guy who's at my gym and he, all he does is lift. He never goes on the treadmill. And should I tell him that he needs to do cardio? And I told, and I told the kid, look, here's what you need to do. If there's a big fat guy in your gym, that guy's winning and we need yeah. to keep him there. Yeah. I said, so whatever your whole job with him is every time he walks in the door, smile, make him feel comfortable and talk to him, make him feel at home there. And that is the best thing you could do for that guy. I don't give a yeah. shit what he does. He's there. He's winning. Yeah, 100%. Right? 
Yeah, it's so true. It's, you know, it's funny because we had, so the Unicorn Society, which is our coaching group for gym owners, we had our virtual treat this past Friday and we brought in Mike Boyle to do the, the keynote. And, you know, Mike's obviously a super smart guy. And, and I don't think I had realized this, but he gave a talk on hiring trainers and he was talking about a couple people he had hired who had been clients first, right? And you think of Mike Boyle's strength and conditioning, you, you know, you think of their legendary internship. A lot of people were interns first, right? And, you know, one of the, the, I can't remember this young lady's name that he was talking about, he said the same thing. She came to the gym multiple times and like circled around and was afraid to come in, right? And you're like, wow. And this is like at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. And this is someone who even went on to become a trainer. But yeah, it's just so hard, I think, to keep in mind how difficult this can be for so many people, particularly for a lot of people in the fitness industry, right? And for me, I think that certainly was an advantage you know, you, you kind of have these essentially two kind of parallel tracks where you have people to get in this industry, oftentimes because they have a sports background or athletics background or interested in sports. And this is almost a way of extending this very positive emotional valence that they have from like movement, weight rooms, you know, and then you have the other, you know, crew, which is, you know, personified by the skinny Charles Atlas getting the sand kicked in his face because he's too skinny around the girl, you know, and for me, because I came from that background of being like painfully skinny and feeling very, very intimidated when I started in gyms, which, you know, at this point, that was a long time ago. I think that has been helpful to me. But one thing, a point I often make when I'm talking to uh, gym owners and trainers about this that I think is important to remember is I would say you, you almost are more risk if you're in my half of the industry, because in practice, you became a trainer, right? You opened up a gym. So at this point, uh, there's, I think, maybe even more of a risk to forget how hard it is for this new person because you're you're not this person, right? By definition, you did figure it out, right? So I think it's a, a constant practice to go back to putting yourselves in the emotional shoes of the person that's coming in, right? And the final thing I'll say about this is none of this is, uh, you know, I'm not trying to fragilize people, right? That's another thing I'm not, I, I don't want to say too. I don't want to say like, oh, people are so precious and like, oh, they're, they're so they're so broken and afraid. It's like, no, no, no. Like, that's like my people are not broken. Like, that's not, I like, I, I reject that. So like, people are awesome. People are great. They're going to be more cool when they work out more regularly. And they've got stuff going on, right? So again, I, I don't mean to sound like people are like so precious and so freaked out and so anxious that like, you know, you have to kid glove everybody. I don't think that's it either. But I do think, you know, a, a, a little bit of grace, a little bit of thoughtfulness, a little bit of extra care and warmth will go a long way. Because um, if I give you one other thing, this is like so money that I think too, when I think about hiring trainers or effective uh, staff, right? I think this is good to think of if you're a personal trainer. When someone is considering working with you, they're kind of looking at two things immediately. We kind of keep going back to this dichotomy here, right? It's like warmth and competence, right? If you're competent, but you're not warm, I find you, I'm suspicious of you. You're not relatable. I think you're like an alien. I don't feel emotionally safe with you. I'm actually kind of looking to poke holes at what you're doing. Um, so if you're all competence and power, it's important, I think, to soften that with a little bit of warmth, a little bit of relatability, right? On the other hand, uh, if you're all warmth, but you don't seem competent, you know, you're going to lose a lot of people. And there's a certain type of person that doesn't care about the details. going to be like, wow, you're friendly. And okay, I guess you're not like too bad and that's fine. But if you want to be very successful in this industry, if you can learn how to both be very good at the job, to be competent, to be comfortable, to speak well, um, and then importantly, um, also be friendly, be likable, right? Like we talked about this weekend with Mike Boyle, right? Like read How to Win Friends and Influence People. Both of those things matter, right? Because when I'm hiring people, particularly a place like MFF, or if anybody is running a gym or works in a gym setting, you're the to the extent that a wide percentage of the human race can feel pretty comfortable with you pretty quickly and gets the sense that you're pretty competent, you know what you're talking about. That's it, baby. Like that's that's gasoline. Like light your career on fire. You can do anything, right? And if you're not happy with going on with your career, I think it's worth considering both of those pieces, right? Do you really have the skills to pay the bills or, and I hate to say it, skills to pay the bills is part of the marketing job too, right? That's like its own like kind of art because I do think there's somebody said for learning how to position yourself in a way that people have a sense like, okay, this person is legit that they know what they're talking about because we know the end consumer doesn't actually know that, right? And I'll, I'll resist to go on rabbit holes there around the proxies and signals you can learn to drop into your work as a trainer to help instill a sense that you're credible. Um, and if you're an asshole, it's not going to matter. <laughs> no one's going to want to be around you. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. 
We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. You know, there's one thing because, uh, you know, I own, I own a business as well and, and do the hiring and, and um, you know, and a, a big part of what I've noticed is that it's uh, the same thing, the same rapport that you develop with your clients or potential clients. It's the exact same situation as your coaches. And, you know, a big part of it, it from what I've really learned is that, you know, if you really, really want to get in the business of developing um really good, competent coaches that are both good at what they do, but also just genuine human beings. It starts with the genuine human being. That's what I found is, is uh, you can, we can teach them how to coach, right? But if you can, if you can find a, a genuinely good human being that wants to help people and they're willing to put the time in to learn the science, man, that oh, yeah. is literally like, that is a recipe for being the top 2%. I mean, it's, it's hundred percent. And it's not that hard, which is crazy. It's like, yeah. be nice and be competent. Isn't that crazy that that's the standard we have in the industry? Yeah, it, it, it really is, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting too, because, you know, I've worked with a lot of trainers over this year, right? And, you know, one thing I'll say is a point of continued fascination for me. And I think a real weakness I have, like post-COVID, I think a real weakness is uh, I, I will say I'm always interested in the trainer that is a wonderful person that really cares and really wants to do a good job. And for my taste, being actual like a, a, a secret fitness dickhead over here, um, I can't seem to get them where like I want them to go. And the reality is if you own a gym, that's part of the benefit. Like ideally, you have some rocket scientist types that are overseeing the program design. You want to teach them like enough about human movement that they're they're good enough. Um, and it is interesting, right? It's fascinating to me sometimes where people like I've worked with them, like, wow, you're, you're such a wonderful person. And like, again, for my taste, which are probably like unnecessary, right? Frankly, I'm probably too much of a nerd at times as far as I'm like, huh? Oh, what's going on with the right? That's kind of collapsing over there. Um, but if I had to choose, I'm going with a friendly person all day long, every day, particularly in our models. It's like you said too, Eric, it's like, this is not actually like rocket science, right? Like, and again, I, 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 I hope it's, clear i'm both speaking outside both sides of my mouth here listeners but i'm sort of massaging this dichotomy because on some level again i don't work with like division one athletes it's like don't hurt them have fun don't hurt them have fun right the longer i've been in the game i've sort of like passed out of my you know i definitely went through as i'm sure many people listen maybe or maybe not i don't maybe i'm just a dickhead but i definitely went through like my angry young man phase where like nothing was like good enough for me. You know, I was like very like judgmental. And the longer I've been in the game, I'm like, you know what? The minimum effective dose that people get from human movement from just doing something is so low that like I become so agnostic. Like, and listen, I have strong opinions about how to do things. I think some things are clearly better than others, right? So hierarchies do exist. I'm not saying like it's all the same. Um, but for general population individuals, like, the most important variable is likely going to be compliance, right? Now, again, I know because of our backgrounds, obviously avoiding injury is also like a very big thing, right? So I do think, again, I don't mean to sound like technique doesn't matter because if you're putting, you know, if you're imposing loads on someone's body, I do think at a certain point, I, I'm, I'm going to start to not have like the most patience if there's no attempt to care about what's going on in that musculoskeletal system, particularly because those sorts of injuries are pernicious, right? They tend to be, they show up in a longer feedback loop. And I think if we're all trying to live, I hope, to 100 years old, well, you know, your orthopedic health is something that really like I care about a lot, you know? It's like funny, we always joke at MFF. It's like, you know, no one at MFF is ever going to get up in your face and be like, you pussy, you better lift more weights. Like, we'll get up in your face and be like, you better order your long-term orthopedic health. And when your spine is out of position, you better terminate the set so you can lift a long time. Which, you know, it's kind of a different vibe. But... All right. So there's something I, I mentioned earlier in the bio that I said I couldn't wait to get to. And that's where you talk about you building a personal tribe and like almost cult-like followings, not only for yourself, yeah. but the businesses that you coach. How do you do that? Like, what are some yeah. of the steps we can take as God. coaches or facility owners or, or people trying to, to gain a bigger brand awareness? Yeah, I, I think there are, there are two pieces to this. There are two pieces to this. I think one can be operationalized and the one I, I think is like 
a, a little harder. I, I think you can improve, but it's is maybe there or not. I think the operational piece is all just the cliche, boring, soft, quote unquote, business stuff, which is like, are you very clear on who you help? And are you obsessed with that type of person and helping that kind of person have a great experience, get great results? Um, so I think the clearer you are on who it is you're looking to serve, and importantly, the clearer you are on your values and what is true for you and what are the guardrails and what you will do, what you will not do on the path of servicing these people, I think that's kind of the foundation, right? And I think in the, in the fitness industry, there's a lot of me too kind of stuff. And I think if you really want to succeed, I think the clearer you are in who you're looking to serve, the better off you'll be. And I think this is challenging too, because I think, you know, it's a great problem we have in today's day and age where information is so widely distributed, but sometimes it's hard to unpack, like, is this the right context for this? Because niches are certainly in the riches, and riches are in the niches, but in, in practice, you can only niche down so far if you have a geographically constrained gym. Like a lot of people, your listener, again, like I'm a brick and mortar guy. I won't even work with you if you're an online coach. Like, like read my stuff. You'll find valuable things, but I'm not your guy, right? That's not the world that I know. So I think the first step of developing a cult-like following is clarity on who it is you're looking to attract, clarity on how you're going to deliver them, what are the values, what are things that are true for you and true for your business. And then if I were to add a third piece, uh, it's again, and I, this is a term I keep using, operationalize it, right? And that's a fancy term. It just means, are you turning these lofty ideas into actions that exist in time? And are there specific ways of auditing to make sure that's happening, right? And I think, you know, great customer service is going to be a big piece of this. I will say this, there's a second to piece of this, which I alluded to, which is maybe a little bit harder to turn to SOPs. And that uh, you know brings to mind the phrase, are you the person that the people you're looking for are looking for, right? Which is to say, are you modeling and leading from the front? Is there something about you that is attractive to the people that you're looking for? And I thought a lot about this because Listen, it's hard to have a cult without some kind of cult leader. And different people just have more or less chops here, right? You know, there's somebody said for some people just have uh, a lot of energy. They've got main character energy, right? Main character energy also means you're not for everyone. You're polarizing, right? Like uh, I have a lot of things I do not well. I'm very painfully aware of this point in my life. But I do know that I have a strong personality. I know I'm not for the people that I'm not for. The people that are into it are into it, right? So I do think there's a maybe a second piece of this that has to do with one's own commitment to your own personal growth and development, your comfort in your own skin, uh, your uh, willingness to really um, be human with other people um, and to walk the talk. And again, that's going to look very different based on the business, based on the, you know, the industry, the model. But I think that I, I just want to briefly say there's another piece of this. I think it's like a little bit hard. I'm like, oh, just like roll out those SOPs. Like if you are a fitness professional, um, and I don't mean to sound harsh, it's gonna maybe sound like harsh, so follow me on this because I'm not making this like a judgment, but if you're a, a, a fitness professional and like you talk like this and like you're, you're just kind of like very low energy and your energy is like two out of three and your face doesn't move. And, and again, I'm not saying like be me, like I'm a strong cup of tea. It's not for everybody, right? It's like, I get that. I'm not trying to say that, but I am saying that there is, if you really want to build a business, either as a trainer that really develops a strong community of people that are like really into your stuff, or as the leader that builds a business and really shines a flag about like, here's, help me find the others. Here is who we are looking for. Here is who we are. Here is who we stand for. Um, I do think there's something to be said about your own personal development growth journey to bring forward whatever the authentic version of you is that is really showing up as a beacon, as a leader. Um, and again, I think there probably are things I could probably offer that people could look into, which are maybe on the scope of this conversation. But uh, at the very least, I think the first half of what I talked about is doable, right? So clear avatar, clear who you help, how you help them, clear values, and then what does that look like in the standard operating procedures? And I want to hammer this again. Even if you're a one-on-one -on -one trainer, you can do this. You can, you're only going to benefit if you make the things that maybe you're already even doing, make those things explicit, write them down, put them down on paper, and I think you'll be more consistent, even more effective. So I want to run with this a little while if you're up for it, is that oh, yeah. um, Mike and I, you know, we've talked about this for ourselves and, and, and what we're doing and 
the challenge of, of building that, that tribe and doing it when you look and see, and, you, and we're trying to study the science of what works, especially in, the, in this um, social media driven world, what you see what works is the contrarian by for the most part and and yeah. you've done it by being a contrarian in a positive way yeah um but but most of most of people that are getting the real follows and the clicks are contrarian just by just like literally just being an asshole all day and just just really just kind of going oh, gosh, against yeah. the grain and <laughs> and so it's like do I take that matrix blue pill and just say, I'm just going to go out with a fucking fire hose to everybody that I, that I think is shit out there. Or like, do I just stay the course and stay yeah. true to who we are? And like, we're just good guys who know a lot of shit that could give you a lot of value. And I don't want to be, I don't want to make build my brand on being an asshole. Yeah. So sense. I'm, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think about this a lot, you know, it's like funny, I'm uh, rereading Russell Brunson's expert secrets um, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that they're very much a point of in that world is like find the biggest player in your space and just throw rocks as hard as you can. And I'm just like, no, I don't care. My people will find me. That's just not how I want to show up in the world. Like, and, and I, listen, I, and I'm sure somebody could give like a very high integrity, uh, mission driven argument for that approach. I just think there's enough division in the world, right? And uh, listen, common enemy is a great way. If Listen, if you're just about growing your business, like common enemy is a great way to do it, right? Find enemies try, because then you're basically saying like, oh, if you hate this person, well, I hate this person, so you must like me. Like, I don't know, I guess that's the way to do it. I just want to live in that world. I don't want to live in that society. I'd rather make less money. I'm common, so it's common enemy. I'm common humanity all day long, baby. Like all day long, I'm common humanity, right? Even if you don't like me, I don't care. I like you. I'm gonna like you no matter what you do. Even if I'm not for you, I'm I'm gonna like you, and I'm gonna want good things for you, right? But but you're you're very much right. I mean, there is a marketing conversation with social media. It's very tr true, and and a, probably a lot of it goes back to negativity bias, right? It's like things that you know outrage gets shared, right? And I don't want to participate in what I think has been a very unhelpful and negative uh, thing that's happened in our society. I think a lot about, um, but I don't, but I want to be very clear. I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I think there's probably uh, a case to be made for it. If you're listening to this and you're like, Oh, I love the throw rocks people. Like, I don't, I guess that's okay. I just also, for me, there's something about how I want to show up in the world, who, who I want to have been on my deathbed and it, it doesn't include that, right? And it's not to say that like, I'm never critical, but I've always attempted to, because clearly I have strong opinions, right? So clearly there's things I think is dumb and bullshit, but when I, when I feel that myself, that's just not reflective of my best version of me. And one of my mentors, Ari Weinzweig always says, when you get furious, get curious. So if I'm getting triggered and mad about something, I'm gonna ask myself, okay, what is there? There's a value being violated there. Right. And then I want to focus on hold the other side of the stick and be like, okay, well, what am I for? What is the thing that's being offended here? Right. Warren Buffett always talked about, you know, praise in public or, or, or praise specifically and criticize generally. Cause like I've criticized stuff all the time, right? I have very strong opinions. You know, my life is in the, you know, the business of fitness space. There's a lot of things I see that like I don't like, like, but I also just think for me, if it's actually making me genuinely mad and it's not just like, naked strategy okay well then there's something for me to heal there's something for me to work on one um and if it is naked strategy i don't know it's just not the one that i feel good about so that's just like my my personal two cents i don't know i endorse that as a device but that's how i think about that yeah it was funny i remember i was uh you know going back and forth with someone on instagram a while ago and we were talking about yeah i was gonna write some articles for them and contribute to their uh, contribute to their to their site, and they said, "Well, you just need to just write a lot. Your content's good, but you need to be more controversial." And I was like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that." And that was kind of the end of it because I, I decided like I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to make a name for myself by just stirring the pot and you know just you know being a dick. And uh, that was something that I consciously decided to do. But um, anyways, that's that's another story. But uh, so tell us, we're gonna change uh, change directions a little bit. Um, you know the. The public eye views coaches, trainers, fitness professionals um, in kind of an interesting way. Um, sometimes we we get looked down upon. Um, what are some things that we can do as as coaches to improve sort of our our uh, value, if you will, in the uh, in the world of health and wellness and fitness? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question, right? It's, you know, and it's been a very interesting, you know, I suspect we're all probably like around the same age, you know, and we've had such a weird journey, right? Such a weird journey. When you think about the way people looked at trainers, you know, in like the late nineties or like the early aughts, it's like, wow, wow, wow. You know, like I, I, I hope we've made some progress since then, but, but it's true, right? Cause I want to, you know, let's like name this out. Like a lot of people, if unless you create go on to either be an educator or a gym owner or something else, this is a real issue. I'll tell you, even for gym owners, right? Because if you have a 31 year old, you know, making okay money, working all the hours and they're single, you know, they're king of the world, right? They're, they're, they're pumped about like their life. You're in your, you know, early forties and you're quote unquote, just a trainer, um, you know, you're not, not always feeling great about that over the holiday dinner when your family's asking about what you're doing, right? So I think there's a few pieces to this. I mean, certainly this is a reflection of probably the industry being young and there being an opportunity for this to become, uh, I don't want to say like it's not a real career now to become, I think, more of a real career. I think the professionalization of fitness it, is valuable and can be valuable. I think we've seen a lot of progress there. Um, and then of course the caveat to that is, you know, apparently this is the theme of our conversation here is, you know, we don't want to professionalize to the point of excluding like being humans and actually servicing people, right? Because if we get too like, like clipboard, like I'm basically like a doctor, you know, like I don't know that's always the most helpful to help the most people with fitness because fitness is so confronting and scary to begin with for a lot of people. So I think, you know, that's maybe one piece of it. I think it, frankly, Part of the challenges, and this is the thing, I don't know we have like 100% great solves right now, are there are some constraints on uh, most, like if you're, if you're going to be a personal trainer and that is the thing that you're committed to doing, there are going to be some professional constraints on that, right? And listen, that can be a great way to go. I think we all know there are absolutely people that are just, and again, I don't mean this in just in a derogatory way. I say that merely right? A personal trainer in your 50s and 60s, and you're good with that. But in practice, it's one of the tough things about this industry is a lot of physically when the job is going to get done, if you're doing in-person stuff, it's before work, it's after work, it's on the weekends, right? So it's very hard to do this for long haul if you're just doing training, if you don't either open up a gym or become an educator or start doing online stuff. Um, I, I will say this, I also, you know, this may be provocative, for somebody that owns a brick and mortar gym, it's part of what I actually don't mind about the advent of online stuff, right? Because I don't see any of online stuff as real competition of the in-person thing. I think it's just like a different kind of solution that optimally means more people are going to have more kinds of solutions, which is super cool. Now, you know, full disclosure, and this, I don't know if any of you have like wounds about this. This is definitely like a, uh, not wounds, that's dramatic, but it is a little bit of a navigation now. 10 years ago, you didn't have that with your trainers right? 10 years ago, you weren't worried about your trainer being like, all right, well, I want to give you this, but also I want to do online training. And it's also going to be with some of your clients, but now they want to do online training with me. And it's like that, it, you know, is I think probably a whole separate podcast. Cause I think there are ways to navigate that, that can be, uh, you know, supportive of each other while respecting the boundaries and constraints of the business relationship of being in a gym. So, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm coming to like a great answer here on this, but I, I guess if I had to, to to say anything, I think it's, you know, continuing to professionalize the industry in the good ways and not the negative ways. And, and beyond people's perceptions of the job of personal trainer, you know, continuing to work with a business model that makes it doable, right? Because the other thing is, I'll tell you, as a guy that coaches gym owners, not every trainer should be a gym owner, right? It's one of the challenges we have in the industry because you get to that point and you're like, okay, I don't want to be doing this anymore. Not every bartender, like, I don't want to be bartender anymore. doesn't mean you should open up a bar. Very, very, very different job, right? And sometimes that happens where you see the person like, oh, you should not have done this actually because now you're not even get to do the thing that you like and you're good at. You're doing these other things you don't like and you're not good at. Um, and you may or may not be interested in getting better at those things. And maybe you're willing to because the incentive is there because there is a financial professional upside that you might have if you run a gym. But I just, I'm adamant and, and this is to my disincentive as some of the coaches, gym owners, I'm adamant the solution has not that everybody should become gym owners, right? Because it is a very different job that's um, not to everybody's cup of tea. But hopefully I'll say this, if we have better and better gym owners, I think that can contribute because better gym owners can create better jobs, you know, and, and I think more professional careers with benefits 
and longevity and paid vacation. Um, and then importantly, hopefully, uh, certainly what I aspire to as somebody that runs a business that realizes that, you know, this is like, I'm not Google, right? You're amazing. I can't be like, oh, you're amazing. I'm going to, I'm gonna, now I'm going to transfer you you're, from marketing. I'm going to send you to, you're going to go to work in Asia and understand the legal departments. I'm going to, like, I don't have that. So the other thing that I have attempted to do, which I don't know this speaks to this particular question, but I think this is something to think on if you have the opportunity to manage or lead people of like, you know, I try to make it really okay that people are probably not going to be with me for forever, right? Like my intention for people when they work with me is I want them to become a better professional and develop some skill sets. And I want them to be a better human, right? And like, that's kind of a bold claim. And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. Like, again, like I, I'm definitely not without my challenges, but we have attempted to create particularly the MFF and organization, the focus of the organization is that we become better, stronger, more expressed versions of who we are in the service of other people, which is you know, broadly created by having these helpful tensions with the people that we work with, and then having very difficult and direct conversations with each other, which again, it's probably its, its own separate podcast. So um, unfortunately, I don't think I got around to any good answers for like, this is how we uh, help solve this thing. But it's something I think a lot about, and hopefully there are some things I shared that could be useful. Well, definitely, as you're, you're talking about the trainer who who tries to be the owner when they shouldn't be, I feel not only you're talking to me, but at me. You know, I had my facility <laughs> for twelve for twelve years, and it was always trying to fit that square peg in the round hole. And then it was one of the reasons that I stepped away is that I, you know, once I got to the point where it's, it, it, I built it to the point where I wanted to, it was like I, I could either be more of this, more of a gym owner. Yeah. Yeah. Which I just, I'm like, I don't want to be this anymore. You yeah, know, and yeah. I, that's not what I got into this for. Um, but kind of going circling back to Mike's question in terms of how we're viewed, I think it's even more challenging now in the social media world because there's even a low, there's always a low bar, low bar for entry, right? Anybody could go yeah. get a certification in a weekend and, and you know, get an iron yeah. on their back that says trainer. But now you could be an influencer without ever having trained anybody other than yourself. Yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah. so, and so with that, you know, that that comes with that. It comes a lowering of that public persona. Like we had Alan Cosgrove on a couple of weeks ago, and he said, like, look, if you watch CSI or, or a show like that, and 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 you see there's a personal trainer as one of the side characters, you know, he's the killer. You know, right. <laughs> so uh, yeah. let's go back to uh, something you just you just kind of dropped in there about the world of virtual and online training, which is yeah. still and, and really this whole industry is in, in its infancy. So that's maybe totally. some of some of the reason why we get this this label on us. But where do you see the virtual and online thing going um, as well as anything else you kind of see with the crystal ball in the next couple of years? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Predictions are difficult. I, I, I do think that the online option is going to be a good solution for a lot of people. And I'll say this, I don't know a lot and I don't really know enough to have predictions of what that actually means for the end user, because I think there is a flood towards online training that, again, I'm, I'm really over my skis here. This is not a world I know, but I, I wonder if, if every trainer now is looking to go online does that chop it all up like too much where now there's like so much competition for online training? Cause yeah, everybody wants to work from their underwear and not have to ever do sessions in person and certainly not doing the hours they used to. Um, I think as always people that are super good at what they do and also get good at sales and marketing, which is that's, that's a big piece of it are going to thrive. Um, you know, I think this is maybe a charitable interpretation, but, you know, something that maybe could happen here, and I think you're seeing this a very little bit in the in-person boutique fitness space, is if we have, and I think we have not the society writ large, right? So let's leave aside, there's a massive percentage of the population that doesn't work out, doesn't have any interest. That's a whole separate conversation, right? But of the people that have been working out, the reality is, though, although there's a lot of like bad information, a lot of influencers, there's also like a lot more good information than was there. And maybe it's a little bit of luck to find yourself in the right internet rabbit holes to get exposed to good information. But I don't know. I mean, the reality is I don't know, for instance, okay, like online training in a vacuum is the best solution for someone that's never done in-person training, right? So I, I don't, you know, I think it's going to be hard more off not to be like really well accomplished at that. But I'll say this, if you've been in a pretty good gym and you've got some pretty good coaching, at a certain point, you know, I say this like speaking for myself, it's kind of my preferred solution at this point, right? Like I, I will usually 
I almost always have a coach I'm working with. I'm always out, always outsourcing my own programming because like I, you know, uh, I can't be trusted. <laughs> you know, if I design my own program, I cannot be trusted because I'm always like second guessing and like, oh, do I do another set here or blah, 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 blah. Um, So, you know, I could see a world where at least in the corner of industry people that are fitness aware because of the advent of easy tech solutions. You know, there's so many apps now that even 10 years ago we didn't have where you can you know, leverage some scale to do program design. I like to think this could be a good solution, at least to get pretty good programming out there for people that don't necessarily need the in-person coaching, which may or may not be paired with behavior change and accountability coaching, which is, of course, if its own uh, separate piece. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm optimistic about it. I think I think that part of the industry will continue to grow, right? It's probably fair to note again. This is this is different than Peloton. I think you're going to see some Uber tech super scaled solutions, which will have some massive pros and some other things they probably don't do as well. Um, but I think, you know, if you think about, this is maybe too crude of a model, but if you think about what people are looking for training, it's like a good program design, good technical coaching, so that I'm performing it well, and then just accountability behavior change. With online programming, you do lose a lot of the in-person stuff. And again, and maybe you're doing videos, and there's, I'm sure there's ways around it. Again, that's not really outside my world. That sounds onerous. But if you have somebody that knows how to train well enough and they just want good programming and somebody to talk to and somebody to look at them, like, I think that can be valuable, right? I'm a big believer in coaching in general, right? It's the Hawthorne effect, right? Like when someone's looking at you, um, necessarily that, that usually means like I'm literally in real time looking at you doing your squat and now you're doing better because there's an awareness that's valuable. But I also think knowing somebody's going to be looking at either your food logs or checking in your workouts or just shooting an email being like, hey, I noticed you felt you're such and such. I think that can be valuable for a lot of people. So that's maybe a little Pollyanna-ish, but um, you know, my hope is it's just more people getting help with a different solution that we didn't used to have. Yeah. So you know, you mentioned online training, and obviously when COVID hit, everybody everybody went yeah. to online training because it, it, there yeah. was really no other options. And uh, you know, now we're sort of on the other side of it. As as uh, someone who does have a brick and mortar business, uh, I am so happy to not be doing any type of online training or any of that. I hate yeah. online training. I would yeah. so much rather be hanging out with people. And it's funny because I've spent probably 20 years trying to get more science and more data and and learn about the, you know, super training and just learn the, yeah. the nerdy, the nerdy <laughs> yeah. shit, right? Yeah. And honestly, I'm at a point now where I'm like, I haven't picked up that stuff in a, such a long time because I'm studying communication, how to listen better, yeah. how to ask better questions, how to, you know, how to literally just become uh, a better leader and mentor, but also with my coaches, it's like the technical yeah. stuff, we're always going to add layers to, but at a certain yeah, point, your ROI is just not going to be there. That, that's precisely it, you know, and I, I think that becomes a challenge. Another challenge professionally for a lot of personal trainers is if they don't make the flip and start getting interested in that you're always going to be wanting further levels of challenge, which is going to trend towards more complexity. And at a certain point, it starts to actually, I think, hurt the client, right? Because if the trainer is so interested in training, and particularly if they're a gen pop person, and they are just down the rabbit hole of the three-letter acronyms, they're down the rabbit, and they're reading Zatsky Orsky. And, and listen, like that's all well and good. But at a certain point, it's like Dan John 101. It's like the best coaches just don't get bored of coaching a deadlift. But in practice, that's very hard to do, right? Like most people are going to get bored of coaching a really good push-up push up at a certain point. So what I have seen to be a sustainable path forward for a lot of coaches is what you will never really get bored of and will always, I think, continue to garner more and more return is the interpersonal behavior change piece, right? Because the more you go into that, after a certain point, you know, and I know we've, we've talked a lot in our chat today about, you know, our shared training nerdery. But at a certain point, there probably is like you're technically proficient enough, right? At this point, to go even deeper down the rabbit hole is going to start to be about your interests and your agenda, not narrow the client. Whereas if you continue to decide, okay, not again, not to say that you're like, oh, I'm done, I don't need to learn anymore, right? Because of course we can always learn. But at a certain point, further uh, results for you as a professional, I mean, regards to both finances but also impact on the client are going to likely come from doubling down on communication, listening, coaching, um, all the things that, again, they seem soft, but they're, they're not really soft. They're just like, they're not like, they're not bones. So it's a little harder to talk about. Yeah. It's not less mathy. 
So one last note on the online coaching thing, and I, I, I'm not completely in congruence with, with my partner here, is that I'm actually ready to launch a, uh, a virtual coaching uh, aspect of my business myself. And, and it's, geared, it, it's, it's geared specifically ironic to what you said, Mark. It's a sub-segment of that population who, look, they're already working out. They're already doing yeah. all this. They have a history. They have a background. And they're not there to get a trainer. Like some people get a trainer so they can get you to work out. I'm there right. for the people that are already working out. They just don't know what to do and they yep, just need yep. me to put the pieces together for them. And so that, there's that component. And one of the things that yeah, we keep 100%. saying in the one things that we keep saying to, to trainers that we're coaching and trying to teach them because we're teaching program design is right. to teach them from a career aspect is to understand that what online training does and this to come full circle may actually elevate the game to a certain extent is that if, you know, in the, in the old days when we started, it was like, you just had to be better than the trainer down the street. And, and where you are right. in Manhattan, right, where right, you are right. in Manhattan, that means there's 75 trainers from one block to the next. Right. But even still, all you had to be better was, is the people in the immediate area that you're competing with. Yeah. Well, now, yeah. once I hang my shingle, my virtual shingle out there, I got to be better than everybody. Because right. I can, if I can now spend my dollars with any coach in the world, and now you're the, the the guy with the weekend certification. You got to pick out, you know, and someone's going to put their hard-earned money towards they can pick you or they could pick me yeah. or Charlie Weingroff or some of these people who have, who are going to, we're going to blow you away. So you better up your game because if I can pick anybody, I don't need to just go to the guy in the corner. I can, if I can pick anybody in the world, you better be top shelf. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very true. I mean, it's, it's such a, such so much more opportunity and so much more competition, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear the two of you sort of taking uh, counters on that because that for me, I do think is kind of the interesting thing we've, it seems we've sort of learned as a society post COVID is what makes it a little challenging now is a lot of people became clear like, oh, I don't like going to a place to work. I'd rather just sit behind my keyboard and do things. And then other people are like, I'd rather kill myself than just be sit behind my keyboard. I need to go to a place and be around people and leave my house, right? Um, so I very much uh, agree with your point that I think like the, the stakes get so much higher there. I think the other thing that I would highlight for listeners is also true is the fulfillment will matter and your sales and marketing are going to get way more important. And it's hard to run sales and marketing for a gym just because you have a geographic constraint, but whoa boy, th then the niches do start to matter. And my experience, again, I don't pretend to be an expert in that world, is getting hyper-specific about a niche if you're going online begins to really, really, really matter. Um, because the online trainers, by and large, you're also competing against the most sophisticated sales and marketing, like absolute killer ninjas out there. Now, the good news is you don't need everybody, right? Depending on you know how much you need to live, how many clients you want, what your price point is. I think that's the other piece of this too. Part of what makes online training so attractive for individuals, you don't have the overhead. Right, like Mike and I have overhead. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I got some stakes up there, right? Depending on your personal situation, you you know you're you're you might be doing like ninety three percent margins. You know, maybe you got like a virtual assistant, and you're like paying for an app or two. So uh, yeah, I think uh, I hope everyone listening. I know they're listening to this podcast. And they're already digging in, making sure you're really good at the way you're fulfilling. Um, and I would invite you to make sure that you you take the sales and marketing piece uh, seriously too. Right, get them in the door, and then serve as the hell of them. All right. So as we sort of come to a close here, what do you, what do you got coming on uh, in the next year? What do we got going on in 2024? Oh boy. Yeah. You know, it's funny you were reflecting on, you know, again, your parallel experience this, you know, the thing that's been maybe a little interesting is a little context for what's going on now and what's I, I perceive up in this year ahead uh, is, you know, I am still passionate about MFF. I still have an important role in MFF and I run remotely because for me, I was one of those people discovered like, I want to be behind my, keyboard i like this the most i like to have the meetings but you know for me i also love working from home um that's the right fit for me and i know again for a certain type of person that's like they're like get me out of here i'm like nope i like just puttering around home all day long it's good for me so you know mff still loving it a lot of what's been very gratifying for me lately is i have a, a team of some really killer 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 people that more and more really running the show over there so i look forward to continuing to you know, mentor and develop them and probably step back even a little bit further operationally. And then I'll still be very involved in the, in the marketing piece and in the high level of strategy. But the, I think MFF, a lot of the focus is really supporting that team because I know the plan there ultimately is try to 
open up some more locations in the small group model. Um, related to that, I mentioned I have the first of what I hope to be several locations of uh, Alloy Small Group Personal Training, which is a, a new emerging small group fitness franchise run by Rick Mayo. And I will continue to work on that business. Similarly, in not precisely an operational role, I have a business partner who's on the ground, who's uh, building out those teams and making that happen. So I'll continue to work on that. But the real focus these days for me is business for unicorns, which is working with gym owners to help them create more income, more impact, and more freedom. Like I think about the gym business all day long, every day. Um, I like to think I have an unusual professional skill set between you know running Mark Fisher Fitness for so many years and now being a franchisee, another model, and opening up locations in other markets that are not in New York City. And then, of course, just working with gym owners now for several years. Um, I'm just obsessed with the opportunity of this industry. I'm obsessed with our mission and the way we can impact people's lives. It feels so good to work with businesses where there's such a clear one-to-one -one map to, you know, if, unless you're doing something really dodgy, but there's a one-to-one -one map between the business's success and doing really good things for people. I'm sure there are out people that are great at helping you coach if, you know, you run uh, I don't know, an oil business. And like, I love you. If you run an oil business, I just told you, I love you. I don't think I'd be super on fire to, to help you get more oil or whatever, but I love helping gym owners. And also it's because it's like, you know, you're always looking to, I think, take care of yourself five years ago because that's the way for me, it feels like it. So I would just say that that's a, a lot of my interest is how do I, you know, how do we keep making that business better? So we're getting better, faster results for gym owners, particularly because our crew tends to be, as you know, it's probably not surprising as per the podcast, tends to be kind of like the nerdy nerds. And I mean that in a good way, right? Like the, the friendly nerdy nerds are like really in training, like they really have a good product. Like you mentioned before, you know, Pete Dupuis, you know, Eric Cressy, like no slouches. So that's been fun too, is we've now got a decent percentage of people we work with in the sports performance world and, you know, just supporting, you know, supporting my training nerds looking to have like a business that actually works for them and for their family and for their long-term um, professional and financial goals and are able to achieve it by really making good positive impact on people with good training, good customer service. Yeah. I'm on fire about it. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Good stuff, man. Well, kudos on everything you've been able to do and, and what you continue to do. And we appreciate you and appreciate you certainly your time and coming on and sharing it with us. It's been fun. Yeah. Absolute honor. Absolutely. So I want to thank you for listening as well. And this has been the principles of performance podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.